0: You are listening to Summer in the Psalms Part 2, a Bay City Church sermon series where we explore some of our favorite psalms that will help us grow together spiritually. Visit BayCity.Church to learn more about us. Well, good morning, Bay City. It's so good to be back with you for a new series. We're going to take the next several weeks and be in the psalms. And last summer, for those of you that were with us, we did Summer in the Psalms, and this is another version of that. We are... In the summer, and we're in the Psalms. So nothing creative, that's what we're doing. Uh, I'm glad you're with us again, and uh, today's sermon is called Finding Cover in a Culture War. Finding Cover in a Culture War. Now, I just want to ask a question to start us off. On a scale of one to ten, how stressed out, angry, annoyed, fearful, uncertain have you been in the past, I don't know, let's say three months now? One of those, you're probably at a nine. Okay, I know this has been a really rough season. Now, if we were to parachute into 2020 from five years ago, from 10 years ago, from 50 years ago, from even like a year ago, how different is the world? So different. We're in a considerably odd season. And it is, quite honestly, a little bit odd, a little bit stressful, a little bit anxious. And for some of us, we're in utter despair. Maybe we've lost our job, we've been furloughed, we've had to move. A lot of hard things happening. Now, I'm going to recount some of these things just to kind of get you stressed out even more, okay? Think about the one area that we're all thinking about most, and that's COVID-19. That's changed. Fear anxiety have skyrocketed. We've talked about this a few weeks ago, have skyrocketed around this subject. They have. Things have just changed so much. The CDC has actually put out a coping with COVID-19 anxiety manual. I don't know if you know that, but you can actually go to their website, the CDC's website, and download the coping with COVID-19 anxiety manual. So if you're stressed out I don't know if they're the, the source you want for that, but if they are, you there is a legitimate manual that you can download because that's how stressed out everyone is. They know that uh, constant media, constant uh, social media, constant news. If you're going on those things and you're looking it up, you know how stressed out you're going to be. We all do, right? No one quite knows how much how COVID nineteen spreads. No one quite knows uh, where you get your information. It's going to vary, right? So if you go to Fox News or CNN, different information. Breitbart. And Vox, different information. Twitter or Facebook, (laughs) different information. If you get your information in Georgia, or if you get your information in Texas, or if you get your information in New York, you're going to have different information. And then the masks, right? It's like mask, no mask, social distance, no social distance, restaurant's okay, restaurant's evil. What are we supposed to do? One prominent journalist on Twitter recently said this. If you go out without a mask, you will kill people's mothers and fathers and their blood will be on your hands. (laughs) That is intense, especially when you're reading Twitter and you're scrolling around for, you know, cat memes or whatever, or the latest news on the NBA lockouts and you come across the idea that you're now a murderer for forgetting your mask to go on your morning walk with. That is a little bit scary. Okay. I, I totally get that. And some other people, I mean, are fearing for their jobs during this COVID-19 outbreak, right? I mean, some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us are would love to go back to work. I mean, some of us would, would, would kill to get a job back because right now uh, the money is tight. Others of us have jobs and are terrified to work them because we're afraid if we work them, we're going to get sick. I was talking to a friend just last week. They don't even want to go back until there's guidelines. They have a job and are willing to give it up because they're so fearful. Of COVID-19. Oh my goodness. And in the economy, as it relates to this economy's open, the economy's closed, the economy's open, the economy's closed, stock market up, stock market down. Ah, So much stress, so much. We are in the midst of a cold, total pandemic and a culture war altogether. Think about this too. Outside of COVID-19, we have people that are fearful of injustice in our communities, right? We had a conversation about this a few weeks ago about the uh, protests and all of the the, the backlash and the ramifications of George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor and all of the different people that have continually been getting getting killed. As it stands today, we're in the middle of a culture war as it relates to to this idea of black lives being valuable in society, yeah? Those who fight for injustice of murdered minorities, uh, they are legitimately, some of them are fearful of the police. They're afraid of the police. I, I mean, I know for me at times... When I see a police car, my normal instinct is not to be like, oh, hello, officer. Thank you for saving my life. It's to actually be a little bit afraid. I mean, I was pulled over over two dozen times in four years and never once got a ticket in my college hometown. Granted, northern Idaho, understand, but nonetheless, still happened. And so when I see a cop car, I have to be a TSD. For others of you, you're seeing messages of defund the police and you're afraid. You're like, I don't want the police to be defunded. My uncle's a police officer. My father's a police officer. My husband's a police officer. I don't want to live in a world without police. And there's, this, there's a total uh, paradox in this situation for so many people. So many people feel so polarized on these really hot and button issues. And then also this culture war is threatening the status quo of American life. Some of us are saying, man, will America ever be the way it always was again? I hope so. And others of us are saying, will America ever be a place where I can feel safe? I hope so. Some of us want America to change, and others of us want it to to stay where it is. We, We just are so different on this subject. And then, of course, in the midst of this culture war, there are those of us who just want America's destruction. Right? There are those of us who simply want America to die. These people operate under the guise of simple and strategic reform in America, but actually seek radical shifts of the status quo. They seek to tear down the patriarchy, the uh, authority, the powers that be, the swamp, whatever it is, insert that word, and we want to destroy it. Some, have, some, of, some of these people have Marxist agendas set on destroying the American family dynamic and destroying fa- fathering as we know it sexuality as we know it that's that's their idea some people want to just terrorize loot vandalize and just tear down stores they, they actually don't have an agenda i just want some free video games from the target <laughs> there's no agenda there at all it's not it's not intelligent it's just uh, primal maybe uh, you want an example of this you know people are been tearing down statues all around the united states i don't know if you've seen this i'm sure you have I don't know if you've heard of this small little detail. It'll catch up. But yeah, people are tearing down uh, statues all around the United States. And okay, you know, if you want to tear down a statue or attempt to justify vandalizing a Confederate colonel in the South statue, okay, I'll listen to your conversation. But Portland, Oregon, the whitest large city in America, they are protesting police brutality towards blacks by tearing down a statue of an elk, of an elk. They set fire to the world's largest or this country's largest elk statue. Now, I don't know about you, but elk lives matter to me. I'm just kidding. But it's funny that the, the contradictions in our nature, because Portland has a long way to go. They have a racist history in their, in, their, uh, in their background, and in fact, there were tens of thousands of people registered to the KKK in their own background, and it has a small number of black people living in its society, and yet it's tearing down statues to protest black lives, but not of racist colonels in the Confederate Army, of Elks. Now, I don't know about you, but for the environmentalists among you, you must be very upset right? Because Elks do matter. And unfortunately, they're being disrespected in places like Portland and we need to stop this injustice. Now, I'm being playful, but I'm doing that in a way to just demonstrate how crazy this whole scenario is. This is an utterly scary situation. And there are even some who actively uphold uh, racist, white supremacist ideologies and want to revel in their sin and torture people. They're doing that. That's what's happening by committing legitimate hate crimes. So there's even that taking place. Crazy, right? But let's not forget our favorite culture war uh, item, and that is uh, cancel culture itself. Now, cancel culture is this. It's where we comb through the past of every single human being who has even a small amount of noteworthiness, and we reveal their sin to the public and then torture them and their employers until they are fired. Scary, scary stuff. And the reason why this is really scary is because of the hypocrisy around it, around cancel culture. Because the amount of people, my friends, that I see online actively canceling different movie stars or politicians for their, quote, racist acts. I've heard those people be very racist, either to me or to somebody else or about an idea. And I just thought, you know, if I were to just type this under the comments of what they did that day. In 2010 or in 2014 or in 2006, that might destroy their life. And if I were to tag their high school employer or their tech company that they work for, perhaps they would be fired as well. We can basically all be fired for the sin we've committed because we are all sinners, that is a huge problem. Now, I'm not saying we should justify allowing people to be overt white supremacists or overt male chauvinistic pigs or anything like that. I'm just saying that if our sin is strung out on the line, none of us, Jesus says, he who without sin may cast the first stone. And none of us would be casting such stones today if, that, if Jesus was here saying that. So, My goal was to hopefully get a little angsty out, get angst out of you and to kind of bring a little stress to you because in the midst of hardship, Psalm 91, our text today, hits us like a cup of cold water in a hot desert. That's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible, please, Psalm 91, that's where we're going to be kicking off this series, Summer in the Psalms, by talking about the shelter, the cover of God. So if you feel burnt out, stressed out, just over everything in general, this Psalm is for you. Okay, Psalm 91, we learn that God is our spiritual protector, that God is our covering, that he will provide a full reality of shelter for us if we go to him for protection, but only if we go to him. So what's the first thing we know in this Psalm? The First thing we have to ask ourselves is this, what are the spiritual benefits of God's covering for his people? What's the spiritual benefit of that? We see in this psalm that God is actually a refuge in a fortress. He's a refuge in a fortress for us. But what does that mean exactly? Because this imagery, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm in my, my dining room right now. This technically is a shelter in a fortress. I think that imagery is lost on us. Look at verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, this word shelter in the original language is really translated like kind of like a secret hiding place. Or like a secret spot, a secret place, a secret shelter. It's like a hiding place. Think of like a tree house for a kid or maybe a kid builds a fort and they feel all safe in there. That's kind of the imagery that should, we should be garnering up as we read this passage. Now, this hiding place keeps you safe, to be sure, but it wasn't a regular space like for all believers all the time. In fact, this isn't like a well-traveled road. This is a secret place that we must learn to find, to cover. It's a place where we get to commune with God and God alone. Now this text here, it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now this word dwell means to live amongst, to be presently. Not all people travel to this secret place with God and dwell there. Maybe some of us will be there for a moment. Maybe some of us will be there for a year. Maybe some of us will be there only when someone close to us dies. Maybe some of us will only be there when we lose our job. Maybe some of us will never get there. But what we do know is that God asks us to dwell. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You will be present with God there. Some will go to it briefly, but how many of us live there? Let me just ask you a simple question I know the answer to. Do you believe that you would be better equipped to handle the curveballs life throws at you if you dwell with God all of the time? For those who are in Christ, the Christians will say Yes, obviously my life would be better if I dwelt with God. And yet, we don't. We have access to God's secret place to to commune with Him, and we don't take advantage of it. That's what's crazy. Now, the spiritual benefit of God's protection, obviously, is sitting with God and being protected from the cultural cultural fires, right? We're covered. We've got cover fire. We've got that trench, and we're hiding from the bullets that are flying by us on Twitter and Facebook and in our families, etc. Okay? But there's also another benefit. The benefit is not just protection. It's that who you are present with while being protected. And that's God himself. So a benefit of being protected by God is a spiritual communion with him personally. You actually don't just get protection. You get God himself. Now, many of us do want to be protected from all of the craziness, but we actually don't want it. We don't want the man who can actually protect us. You understand? We want to be protected, but we don't want the person that can make the protection happen. But God in this secret place, he offers up his friendship and his fatherhood to those who press into that secret place. So this means that, you know, actually there's not a physical place you go to be closer with God necessarily. God is present everywhere. It's actually a spiritual ascension of growing in a deeper relationship with God. There is a deeper level of knowing God that is actually like a form of protection for us. Do you understand? So as we press into a relationship with God through prayer and meditation, Lord Jesus, would you be with us at a higher level, Lord God, and we're asking him to dwell with us, we actually can go and venture into this world where God is actually protecting our spirit in a way. So God's protection provides communion and friendship that's like an oasis in a hot desert. Think about that imagery. It's so hot, right? We're talking... Think about 115 degrees in the Saharan Desert or the Sonoran Desert and Sedona Desert. We're just out there in these deserts and it's hot. We're baking and we come upon this 55 to 60 degree, feels like the air conditioning is on, oasis, with trees and fresh water and food and fruit and nuts. And we dwell there and we get a break and we rest in that. Doesn't that feel good? That's what we want. Verse 2. What's the result of this sort of relationship with God? It says this, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Will you just say that with me for a second? And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. Here we have an example of the psalmist responding to the communion with his God. He's totally responding. He's experiencing the connection with the Lord and he's looking back at God and he's reciprocating the relationship that they had together. So we see the experiencing God as protector actually gives us confidence. Confidence to respond. But not just a mild confidence, a deep level confidence. So the more you commune with God, the more confident you will become in him. That's why the verse says, and I will say to the Lord. I will say to the Lord. I will say you are my rock. I will say you're my refuge. I will say you're my fortress. I will say you are my God in whom I trust. Not, you know, I should say it more, or well, I guess I could say it more, or man, I really have to say it more, but that I actually say it because I'm so confident because I know it's true. There is no denying the stark reality and the temperature shift of being in the desert at 120 degrees and going into a 60 degree desert, or 60 degree oasis. There's no denying that. It's too true for us to go, ah, who knows if this is an oasis. Same is true with our relationship with God. We don't, when we commune with him in this secret place, we don't say, well, who knows if this is God protecting me, or if it's just like some, I'm just relaxing, or I'm getting away from work. No. A real authentic communion with God at this secret place, you come down from the mountain knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is Lord and that this is my God and I will say my refuge and my fortress. Now, many of us lack confidence in our relationship with God, right? Because we know that being with God at this deepest level will give us confidence. But I know just from being a pastor and and also just being a human being who's fallen sinner, I know that we lose confidence in, in God a lot. We lack it. And the reason why we lack confidence in God is because we lack deep faith in God. Okay? We have casual, shallow relationships with God. And maybe we have to get serious for a moment, but we go back to the shallow nature of him. Okay, So we don't have confidence. And perhaps the reason our faith feels so shallow is because we barely know Jesus at all. Let that sink in for a second. Maybe the reason your faith is shallow, maybe the reason your confidence in him is shallow is because you actually don't know him super well. Some of us know God, and you've heard me say this, like we know the president. We know of the president, we hear the things he says, but you've never met him, you've never sat across from him, we know who he is, we know who Barack Obama is, we know who Stephen Curry is, we know who Oprah Winfrey is, we know who all of these major people are, but we don't know them. And some of us treat God like we treat one of these movie stars. We know about them, but we don't know them, and that's why we don't have confidence in them. Do you understand? So... Running to the refuge of God builds communion with God, and even if we lack confidence in God, if we go to this place, we can gain that confidence. Now there's something else that's a benefit, and it's the natural byproduct of finding shade on a hot day, and let me tell you what it is. It's rest. The culture war is just going nuts right now, right? Alt-right, social justice warrior, bullets flying, the far left, the far right, Republicans, Democrats. Man, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, oh my gosh, God help you if you're on TikTok and you're over 20 years old. All of these different things are just so much for us. But when we go to God and we rest in communion with him, we actually get to rest. We get a break. Now, I'd venture to say that most of you need a break from this season. And I just want to say, I want to give you affirmation and say it's okay to feel tired right now. It's okay that you feel exhausted. It's okay that you don't feel like keeping going. It's okay. It's okay to feel like quitting. It's okay to cry or be angry. Life is difficult right now. It is okay to feel what you do, but I want to tell you that's exactly the reason why you should go to the deepest level you can with God because God literally does provide you with a protection in the way you feel right now, and I know you feel that way because I do too. Psalm 4.8 says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, if you've ever had insomnia, you know how sometimes difficult it can be to fall asleep. Imagine being able to just at the snap of a finger pass out because you're so rested and so let, your, your anxiety's gone that you can just fall asleep because the Lord is with you. Jesus' his own words. He says this: Matthew 11:28 through 30. He says, "Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you." And Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy and my burden is light That's the sort of God you get when you commune with him The second question we have to ask ourselves as it relates to Psalm 91 is this How do we misunderstand God as our covering? Okay, because actually we might read this psalm and make some assumptions that aren't true. So I want to kind of dispel these early on, it's because Psalm 91 is actually packed with so many great promises, and these promises are lofty. Listen to these: verse three says, "He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence." That's intense. Verse seven, he says, "A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will, but, but it will not come near you." Talking about the death and the enemies coming. Verse ten. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Okay, no plague? Verse 12, on their hands, angels will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, these are some intense promises, but does this mean that no evil will happen to us? Because we're in the middle of coronavirus, COVID-19, global pandemic, racial injustice, culture war, all of this. Does this mean nothing bad is going to happen? Does this mean that God is going to defeat all of your enemies. That means you will never get sick. Is this this what's happening? Do you say this? God will not allow any earthly harm to come upon me. Do you say that? Do you say this? Bad things like death and destruction will never happen to me as long as I follow Jesus. Do you say these things? I think a lot of us do actually look at the Bible like this. If I'm faithful, no bad will happen to me. Okay. Now, one way you know that this is not the right way to interpret this passage is because this is how Satan interprets this passage, okay? To tempt Jesus. So Jesus goes out in the desert for 40 days and Satan shows up to him to tempt him, right? Because Jesus is trying to spiritually connect with God and to prepare for his ministry. Satan shows up to tempt him. And here's what happens in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself from down here, from down, from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now seems like pretty interesting, right? Jesus is at the top of the temple and Satan goes, if you throw yourself from here, God's going to protect you. It says it right here in the scripture. And do you know where he quotes from? Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. That's where he quoted. Satan Satan is telling Jesus to throw yourself off a cliff and God's angels are going to catch you because surely if you're the son of God, he's not going to let the son of God die. Now, unfortunately, many of teachers today, many in this city, okay, many in the Bay Area will teach and share Satan's interpretation of this text. They will say, if you have faith, if you just sow a seed, if you just sow a seed into the body of believers with your money or whatever it is, then, then you will be safe, you will be protected, and your house will grow sevenfold, house, car, all of it is coming to you, okay? That's what it says. If you were to just Google Psalm 91, you would find, find many Bible studies, sermons, uh, faith healers that would share this interpretation, okay? God will protect you. He will cover you. He is your fortress. No harm will come upon you. It doesn't matter anything else, okay? And yet we know death exists, don't we? Many of us have lost someone that's died. Were they unfaithful? Is that the reason they died? We know that people get sick, people go broke. We understand that. We understand that people get taken advantage of. People get uh, kidnapped. This thing happens. This interpretation filters the Bible through our desires. It essentially is us reading our interpretation of Western modern happiness into a scripture meant for ancient Israelite people. Okay? Okay. So we cannot read 2020-2021 ethics into a scripture that is meant for an ancient Jewish people. That's not how it's done. So we need to be able to say, how does the, ter- the scripture inform me, not how do I, my views inform how I should see the scripture. But rest assured for us, Jesus rejects Satan's interpretation and he rejects many of our interpretation of the scripture. And he says this, Luke 12, 412, Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, okay? Jesus is saying that God is not a magic genie that if you rub hard enough, that you'll be safe in any situation. And you certainly shouldn't make God jump through hoops like a circus animal. But we do this, don't we? We say things like this, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. If God doesn't do this, then I know he's not real. Like One of the oldest tricks in the book from older professors in atheism is they'll take a piece of chalk, back when we used chalk, and we'll say... I'll drop this on the floor, and if it shatters on the ground, then we know God, it doesn't exist, so I'm going to disprove God right now, and they'll drop it, and it breaks in the garden. they go, therefore, God is not real. We put the Lord, our God, to the test, yeah? Now, this doesn't prove God's not real. All it proves is that he's not a circus animal willing to jump through hoops, right? If I were to tell you, you, what you need to do is you need to go run 10 miles right now, as fast as you can, holding a pizza on your head, and if you don't do that, you're not real. Well, is that fair or is that you just going, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. God's looking at this professor going, no, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I'm out of that. I'm not a circus animal. When we exegete this passage like this, we put the Lord our God to the test. Okay, The psalmist in Psalm 91 is not against what God says elsewhere, that there will be sorrow and death and struggle like it says in Psalm 44. Psalm 91 actually perfectly grasped the tension of the physical and the spiritual, right along with Luke chapter 21. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. It says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brother and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will even put to death the disciples. Okay. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. Wait a second. So wait a second. I'm going to die, but not a hair on my head is going to perish. Jesus is bringing in, juxtaposing the physical and the spiritual worlds together. That ultimately, even though our physical bodies may suffer for a time on this world, that we may be persecuted, that we may get sick and die, that those are all symptoms of a broken world, Then ultimately for those who dwell in the most high uh, presence in the secret place, those will be protected in the end in glory. Charles Spurgeon says this, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord, nothing, okay? The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward in Jesus. I'm not saying God can't provide protection on the earth now, okay? And especially in spe- special circumstances. He can and absolutely does do miracles here on this world today. But that does not mean he always will. It means that especially those he understands, he understands this, okay? His plans are far understand ours that all things work together for the according to the purpose of his will, but they don't work according to the purpose of us, according to the purpose of his will, okay? All these individual things. Now, last question we need to ask ourselves is this. What does God's covering actually protect his people from? Okay, what, what is he actually protecting us from? Is it from Twitter? Is it from Instagram? Is it from these things? Is it from hate? Is it from our haters? Is it from poverty? What is it? Verse four, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Here at the top of this verse, these verses, God is comparing himself to a mother bird. That's what he's doing. And the pinions, that weird word there, I had to look up, but it's actually the outer parts of wings. And so when a predator is nearby... A mother bird will cover its nest with its babies or with its eggs, with its wings and its pinions, and it will protect. And so that means if the predator comes, it will not see the babies or it will uh, hit the mother's wings and not the babies. But also in inclement weather, think like a hailstorm, a hailstorm will not be able will get through to the babies because the mother bird will protect it. But it's not to say no one gets hurt in this, right? Because we're protected. Someone does get hurt. And who gets hurt if a, if a bird protects its It's young with its wings. Who gets hurt? The mother. The mother takes the brunt. See, I think we're actually thinking too small about this passage. We think God's going to protect me from debt. God's going to protect me from sickness. He's going to protect me from bad friendships. That is way too small of thinking, and that steals the, the power out of this passage, because he's talking about the terror by night, right? The terror of the night, That's what he's going to protect us from, pestilence that stalks in the darkness. That doesn't sound like bad friendships. It sounds like far worse. What's the greatest terror we have, friends? The greatest terror in this world is sin. What's the biggest pestilence that exists? Ultimate death, eternal separation from God, hell. The hailstorm here is not a small little cute analogy. It's a large, giant storm coming, and it's too big to overcome. God surrounds those he loves with his wings. And what happens to us? Those who are in Christ, who are in the secret place in God's midst, they survive. Okay? But what happens in the storm? What happens to the storm of the mother bird? The mother bird dies. You see, a life was actually going to be paid. The storm is so big in the intense storm that God has to die. Now, some of us got upset at the last point because we said, wait a second, God's going to allow us to suffer in this world for some sort of like eternal, eternal afterlife that we'll get to be happy. That doesn't seem fair. And yet the ultimate bullet is reserved for him. Jesus takes the ultimate bullet. Jesus is the mother bird that says that the great enemy of sin is before us. And I need to protect my people by going to the cross and dying. And Jesus shed his blood on our behalf so that we might be able to go free. And yes, this world will have its horrible uh, after effects. Yes, bullets will fly. Yes, people will be terrible. We will cancel culture, will ensue. Anarchy will happen. Death will occur. But the ultimate death, the ultimate death, we will never taste. We will taste a death in this life, but we are protected and we will experience eternal life forever because of what Jesus died for us. You see, Jesus is the ultimate refuge. And when you run to his shelter, he protects you even to death. You might lack confidence in that. You might lack passion for that, but I encourage you to go forth into his shelter, to come into his midst and to enjoy God forever in his secret place. And if you can do that, you can find confidence in him. Let's pray.